Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet uh, at MichaelDukeshow.com. And across the state of Alaska, this is your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hello to Mr. and Mrs. Alaska and all the ships at sea. Newsflash, it's Tuesday. And at least it's, uh, well, it's a blistering six degrees where I'm at right now. I mean, that feels like... It's a heat wave, tropical heat wave. Temperatures rising and isn't surprised. Anyway, it's uh, beautiful out here. And uh, <clears throat> we're just uh, still getting dug out from yesterday. So uh, we're we're all ready to go. I know some of you are still working on your snowblowers. Brian said this morning that he may be with us in spirit, but he's probably attached to his snowblower all morning. But this is the perfect opportunity. You can blow snow and listen to what's going on at the same time. That's that's beautiful. Tuesday means uh, our weekly deep dive down into the weekly top three with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're going to um, we're going to. We're we're gonna get into it. It's I got questions. I have questions and comments, and we'll see what Brad has to say on that. So that'll be hour one this morning, and we're gonna talk about the governor's vetoes. We're gonna talk about, um, you know, letting the Cook Inlet, you know, kind of let the market forces, you know, drive the bus and everything else. And we'll touch base on the on the uh, um, the uh, new defined benefits plan and that it was going to get voted on yesterday and then couldn't because the, 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 they couldn't get their people there to get it passed. And so they delayed it. it I mean, it's a, oh, it's a mess. Anyway, we're going to do that. We'll talk with Brad about that here in a second. Then in hour two, I'm going to talk to you about, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about being realistic. Uh, I had an interesting conversation yesterday about being realistic and not giving up, but also having a bit of realism when I'm fighting the battles, so to speak, of, you know, politics and everything. Uh, So it made me think for the rest of the afternoon, and I wanted to share that with you and just kind of have a conversation with you. And then we'll be joined by Chris Story at the end of the show, and he'll join us, and we'll we'll dive right in. Okay. All right. Enough enough of my blathering. Let's get on to it. We got uh, got stuff to do. We got uh, Brad Keithley to join us this morning and talk about the weekly top three, and he's with us right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Whoops. I got no... you're You're muted, my friend. You muted, you muted me or I, there we go. All right. There you go. Yeah. 
Have you, have you got, you're having a heat wave. Have you got a short sleeve shirt on this morning? I do have a short sleeve shirt on this morning. Look at that. I had, I've been, I, you've noticed I've been wearing long sleeve shirts because there's no heat, in the, no heat in the studio. So I mean, and scarves and all sorts sweat of sweatshirts and everything else. And I got the heater on sometimes while I'm, if I've got a guest on, I could turn the heater on while the guest is talking because it gets cold in here. But uh, anyway, today it's not bad. It's a tropical heat wave. What are you going to do? Um, so uh, good morning, my friend. Uh, you ready? to uh you ready to dive all into this and uh, and get down get down into it i am well let's uh let's uh let's get started so you've got a whole thing about there are legislative champions uh different kinds of champions apparently for for spending and more so tell us get, give us give us the rundown here you you take the you take the lead here so so you can come in and snatch me yeah because i'm gonna i'm gonna snatch you right off the podium here in a minute so go ahead go ahead <laughs> Um, so I've been, as I've been reading through the press and talking to people and other things over the past few weeks, actually, but it sort of, it sort of, you know, came to a roar the past week. I've noticed, I, I, I've, I've come to realize that there are champions down in the legislature and indeed in the, in the administration sometimes for various spending things. Uh, I mean, K through 12 comes to mind. You've got Senator Stevens, President Stevens in the Senate. You got Loki Tobin, Senator Loki Tobin, who's who presses ahead uh, on uh, K through 12. And you've got all sorts of people in the House, uh, former teachers in the House who are pressing ahead, current or former teachers in the House who are pressing for uh, more K through 12 spending. On energy, you sort of shift over to the Republicans. You got George Rauscher, who's you know, all all excited about pursuing energy projects, and 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 Jesse Sumner, who wants to you know, do a, a state subsidy of the of the line down from the gas line down from the North Slope. On defined benefits, you've got Kathy Giesel, certainly who's who's become something she wasn't back when she was first elected, uh, pushing uh, pushing additional spending. You've got Jesse Keel from uh, uh, Juno, who's got all those constituents who want defined benefits, and so you've got you've got champions for that. And now you've got a new one this past week. Representative Julie Colomb, a Republican, conservative Republican uh, from Anchorage, is now pushing childcare uh, tax credits. But all tax credits are tax expenditures, and you know who's going to pay the cost of those eventually. It's going to be additional PFD cuts. It's going to be you know pushed down to middle and lower income Alaska families. So she's become the new childcare uh, advocate. What you don't have in the legislature are revenue efficiency experts. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment. But revenue efficiency experts or revenue efficiency champions. By, by revenue efficiency, what I, I'm trying to distinguish it from, from just revenue, because you know Mike Shower wants to make that a dirty word and has done a pretty good job doing that. Um, I, I'm not talking about additional revenue. Let me let me give you an example. I used to do when I was back practicing lawyer. I used to do a lot of utility rate cases, and utility rate cases come in two parts. The first part is how much goes to the uh, utility, how much the utility is entitled to earn, how much is entitled to collect in rates, and that's the revenue portion, the 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 utility's entitlement to to revenue, and that's that's a whole issue and gets gets argued about. But after, but but separate and apart from that issue is is an issue called rate design, or revenue design, and that's how you collect whatever the revenue is, 
not trying to increase the revenue, but just how you're trying to collect the revenue. And that's always a battle between uh, uh, residential customers, representatives of residential customers, commercial customers, and industrial customers. And in Alaska, we the the four uh, the the J Bear is the sort of the equivalent of the industrial customer on the on the NSTAR system, for example. And it's always a battle about who should bear who should bear the cost. They're not trying to increase the cost. That's being set on a separate issue with separate arguments and separate separate uh, 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 contentions going back and forth. This argument, the revenue design, the rate design argument, is just about who bears the cost. And there's a whole level of expertise and a whole level of, of championship, if you will, of uh, on that issue about who bears the costs. Utilities, the, the, the utilities are sort of agnostic. They don't care. Uh, the residential uh, customers always want to shift more of the cost to the commercial and industrial customers. The industrial customers always want to shift more of the cost to the residential customers. And you have this whole revenue design or rate design issue that goes back and forth that you spend a lot of the case. In fact, it's often more contentious than the than the overall revenue issue. There's a lot of contentiousness that goes that goes back and forth. And it's a whole level of expertise. You've got that in Alaska uh, in terms of how we shift. If you look at the government as the utility and the overall revenue level as whatever the heck the budget is, we've got a revenue design or a rate design issue in Alaska. How much should the oil companies bear? How much should the top 20% bear? How much should the other 80% middle and lower income uh, Alaska families bear? It's almost the equivalent of the industrial commercial residential divide you have, you have in utility rate cases. And it takes a level of expertise to understand that. And there's all sorts of unintended consequences or, or efficiencies or issues that come out of that. If you shift too much to the residentials, for example, are you going to encourage them to shift off gas onto electricity? Or are you going to encourage them uh, to, to overspend on, on insulation and things like that? If you shift too much to the industrials, are you going to push them out of the state or push them out of the country uh, overseas? And there's all sorts of efficiency issues and economic issues that are involved in that. We've got the same thing with respect to, with respect to revenue levels in Alaska, recovery of revenue levels in Alaska. If, if you shift too much to the oil companies, will they leave? If you don't collect enough from the oil companies and you shift it too much to, to, to the top 20%, will they do as Natasha said? People with money will leave. We've seen in the past week, the past couple of weeks, the consequence of shifting it too much to middle and lower income Alaska families. We have we have falling working at working level, uh, working age Alaska families in the middle and lower income brackets. We have an increasing number of them in the top 20%. But we have a falling number of them in the in the uh, middle and lower income brackets. ICER told us in 2016 that you that you have the largest adverse impact on the overall economy if you shift it that way. And and ICER also told us in 2017 you have by far the costliest impact on 80% of Alaska families if you shift it that way. It's a whole level of expertise. It's a whole level of of economic issues that we ought to be digging into, and ought to be understanding. As, as the legislature and the administration decides how to shift it back and forth. But we have no champions. We have no experts in the legislature who are trying to do that. We used to have a couple in the administration. Uh, we had Brian Fector, 
who is the Deputy Director of Revenue, and we have Colleen Glover, who is the Director of Tax, both of whom understood that issue, because I talked with them about it regularly, both of whom understood that issue, both of whom were sensitive to the fact that if you overcollect from one group, separate and apart from what the overall revenue is, if you collect from one group, overcollect from one group, you're going to have unintended consequences. But Adam Crum fired them both because the old companies didn't like what they were saying. And so we don't have anybody in the administration. We have a, a whole department of revenue that ought to, ought to be talking about this stuff, that, that ought to understand this stuff, ought to be talking about this stuff. But we got nobody. So we got nobody in the legislature. Ben tried. Ben Carpenter tried. But, but it sort of hit a brick wall last year. Right. Um, and we've got nobody in the legislature who's really trying to understand this issue. I'm not I'm not using revenue in the in the same term that shower is when he says, oh, revenue means taxes. Bad, bad, bad revenue. Don't talk about revenue. I'm talking about revenue efficiency, revenue design. And that's what we need a champion on. Somebody who is focused on the consequences of, of, of re over recovering or how you recover. The overall revenue, whatever it is, $2, $5 million, whatever it is, how you recover that revenue amongst, amongst, the, amongst the payers. And that is costing Alaska a lot. I mean, I, I know we got people who want to spend more money. Oh, K-12, we need to spend more money. George Rauscher, we need to spend more money on energy. Jesse Sudner, we need to spend more money on energy. You know, defined benefits, Giesel and Keel, we need to spend more money. Now, Julie Cologne, I know we got people who, who, had a, who know how to spend. That's and pretty, you know how to champion spending. That's pretty much we all we have. Don't is, have we, we don't have people who understand how to recover it in a way that, that helps Alaska. Yeah, we pretty much only have people who know how to spend. That's pretty much all we have these days. It's always, it's a spend, but it's a spend on my program, not on your program, but on my program. So as long as I get my thing, that's just and righteous, and your thing is wrong and evil. And uh, like I said, it's gotten to the point now to where basically you've got the people who want more government and the people who want less government and the people who want more government are pretty much the majority in everything at this point. They want to spend on everything. But but we don't but we don't understand. We don't understand. However, that issue plays out more government, less government. However, that issue plays out. We don't have anybody who's saying, OK, there's the number. Got it. There's the rev there's the revenue uh, uh, requirement. Got it. Yep. Now, how do we recover it in, a, in an efficient manner and in a manner that promotes Alaska, the approach promotes the Alaska economy, promotes Alaska families? You know, Governor Dunleavy says he wants to be the family governor. Well, PFD cuts are the worst thing for Alaska families. Promotes Alaska families and 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 solves helps solve the problem of the exodus of, of working Alaska, working age Alaska families, middle and lower income working age Alaska families. We, we need to have somebody talking about that also in the legislature, in the administration, and we don't. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top one. Off to a bang, man. He was on a roll. I didn't want to just didn't even want to interrupt him at this point because, again, he's not wrong. Uh, and, of course, uh, with all the people out there that are wanting to, I was a little blown away by the fact that Cologne was because she's been pretty good up till this point. Uh, and now, of course, we need uh, government to intervene on the child care because we just couldn't possibly figure out how to do it ourselves. Uh, if we could get government out of the way of child care. And quit putting all the stupid regs and the things and the 16 pages worth of thousands of dollars worth of uh, 
of uh, things you need to do to even get started, maybe we could fix that. But no, what we need to do now is subsidize it because that's what, uh, you know, you incentivize it, then you subsidize it, then you, anyway, it's, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy thing. Brad, uh, quickly, 30 seconds, uh, number two, give me a tease. Governor Dunleavy has finally uh, shown some spine and said he's going to veto something if the legislature doesn't. Uh, but I think he's talking about vetoing the wrong thing. So I'm, I, I want to talk about what he should be vetoing instead of what he's threatening. All right. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Brad Keithley, our guest here, uh, Alaska's for sustainable budgets. Um Terry says, let the top 20 leave. Maybe we can get our state street. You don't, you're missing the point. It's not the top 20 who are leaving. It's the average working age people. The top 20 are actually increasing. It's becoming a haven for them. That's the, that's the whole point. Everybody else is paying and they get a chance to sit here and retain all their money. So there you go. That's, that's what it's about, Terry. Uh, at that point. Um, <clears throat> What else we got here? State shower, uh, state Senator Mike Shower had a great article on defined benefits on his Facebook page. We'll have to read that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was supposed to happen. That was supposed to happen yesterday. Uh, and it didn't uh, look like it was going to, and they were just going to jam it down the throats of all look like it was going to be a 17 to 17 to three vote. And then they figured out that they couldn't get the, that the senators weren't going to arrive because of the weather, so then they moved it off again. But uh, according to according to what I'm hearing, they haven't even finished the fiscal note analysis of this yet. Uh, the 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 new benefit bill, Brad, it's going to cost over 1.2 billion dollars over the next 15 years. But that's the incomplete report. They're saying that they're not even going to have the next report. It's going to be over a month before they see the preliminary numbers, but they're trying to pass it right now. So they have an incomplete fiscal note, have no idea how much it's going to cost, and they're going to vote for it because of all the good thing that it's going to bring, supposedly. Yeah. Let's let's pass it, then we'll read it, or let's pass it, yeah, then we'll, we'll figure then we'll out what's in it. Yeah, we'll figure out what's in it once we pass it. And and I and I haven't updated updated my knowledge lately, but we still have what, a seven billion dollar, six billion dollar, five it's, billion dollar yeah, deficit. Between six deficit and seven billion out of the yeah. current benefits program. Yeah, between six and seven billion deficit on the on the on the past program. That's uh, that it's it was ended in twenty fourteen. Yeah, so you know, just adding to that. I mean, there was a time uh, in the early twenty teens when we were going when when the retirement benefits, the state supplement to the retirement benefits, um, to to close the gap was going to be near the largest category of spending yeah um and and anna fairchild uh, senator anna then senator anna fairchild uh uh quietly moved as as she was chair of finance then i think quietly moved three billion dollars uh out of the earnings reserve over into the defined benefits program 
you know, if you wonder where, if you wonder where all the earnings reserve money is gone. No, it was out. It was out of the CBR. She moved the money out of the CBR over into the uh, over into the defined benefits program to put more principal over there, so it could earn more. So the so the cost of the state to close the gap was was less, uh, or else or else the the number would have would have gone would have gone way up. So yeah, we need to see the fiscal note before we before we we go off on this tangent again, or else we're going to find ourselves in another situation where well. Yeah, and it closing wasn't, the gap may cost us more than everything else in the budget. And it wasn't just the state; it was all the municipalities and all the cities that had participated in the defined benefits, and they were on the hook for their surprise. Here, you have to pay for all this bad. And it was; it was. I said 2014. Uh, defined benefits ended in 2006. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so we're talking 20 years ago. We're still six billion dollars in the hole after being out of defined benefits business for 20 years, uh, 18 years. Here we are, and they want to jump right back into it. They have the shortest memory in history. <laughs> the shortest memory in history. Wouldn't it be great if we could have everything, all our cake and eat it too, and ponies and butterflies and rainbows? Couldn't we? It wouldn't it just be great if we could have it all? And just have our own printing presses and do whatever we want to do. That's where it's at. Well, that's I mean, that's 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 sort of where we've gotten to again. I mean, we've got we've got all these champions for all these spending categories and we're adding them as we go. I mean, Cologne added hers. Right. Right. Uh, this week we're we're adding them as we go, but we've got nobody worrying about the consequences of how we pay for it. Yeah. Who pays? That's the question. Who pays? Somebody ought to be asking that. Oh, wait, we are asking that question. All right, uh, here we go. We're jumping back into it. Brad Keithley, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free, thick, and radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Let's let's do it. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Okay, here we go. Brad Keithley, Alaska's for sustainable budgets, continues with us now. Let's uh, jump back into number two. The governor says he's going to veto, but is he vetoing the right thing? Uh, Brad, uh, the governor says... Any standalone bill that increases the funding for schools without a comprehensive something or other is going to get, you know, no standalone funding bills for just the BSA. Uh, is that the right thing, the wrong thing? Give me your thoughts. Well, first, first of all, this is this is a, a huge exception step out for this for this governor. While, while it's normal in other states and at the federal level for the chief executive, the president or the governor to say, if you pass this, I'm going to veto it. So don't spend your time working on it. Let's work on something that, that you know that 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 reaches all of our reaches all of our issues. This governor's never done that. I mean, I remember when there were some who said, "Tell the legislature you're going to veto the appropriations bill, the whole damn thing, if it doesn't include a full PFD or if it doesn't include POMB 5050. Back up your statements with respect to the PFD by telling the legislature." No, he wouldn't do that. No, you know, I, I just I'm just going to sit here and wait until the legislature passes something and then I'll think about it uh, was was basically was basically his attitude. And he's done that continually through both the first term and into the second term. Finally, he stands up and he says, you know, last week 
he stands up and he says, well, I'm going to veto any bill that just increases the just increases the BSA, period. I'm going to veto any bill that just increases the BSA. Well, what does that guarantee? What that guarantees is then that it's going to have to include a bunch of other things, which is what he intends. But here's the deal. It's going to include a big BSA. I mean, between the Senate and the and the House, there's going to be a big BSA that's going to that's going to be included as part of this bill. And now the governor has said it needs to include all that other stuff because I'm going to veto a, B, a, a bill that just comes to me with a big BSA number. So you're going to have to add in all that other stuff, the cost of all that other stuff on top of whatever the big BSA number is. And that's what the that's that's what's going to go to the governor out of the legislature. The governor and and the governor said, "Well, you know, I told you I wouldn't. I would veto a BSA only bill, but now that you that you've added in all that other stuff, even though it's got a big BSA, and now you've added in all that other stuff, uh, I'm going to be prepared to sign it because you put all the other stuff in that I want." As we talked on the show last week, we're talking potentially about a a, a bill that goes from two hundred million dollars, well, from eighty million, eighty six million dollars, which is what which is what the add on was to the BSA last year, the one-time add-on after the governor vetoed half of it. We're talking about a bill that goes from 86, uh, 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 an add-on to, to K through 12, that goes from $86 million. Potentially, if the BSA goes high enough and then you add on all that other stuff the governor wants, potentially to a bill that approaches a, a half a billion dollars, $500 million. And that's, I mean, that's how Congress solves things, right? I've got to have my thing. Well, okay, I'll give you your thing, but you give me my thing. Okay, well, I'll give you your thing. And pretty soon, you know, the bills the bills just spiraled out of control. If the governor had said instead, I'm going to veto anything that has more than $250 million or $200 million, a number um, that, that, that spends more than that, because we can't afford to spend any more than that. I'm not even sure how we're going to spend that, but we can't afford to spend any more. I'm not sure how we're going to fund that, but we can't afford to spend any more than that. I'm going to veto a bill, and it has to have, and it has to have my stuff in it too. If he had, if he'd put a cap on the number, then we would have an effective negotiation going on in the legislature, fighting about what, what, who got in on, underneath the 250 million dollars. But by leaving the dollar figure open ended, and saying all he's saying is it can't include just the BSA. You know, if I'm Gary Stevens, I'm sitting there going, great, I'm done. I, you know, I'll give you whatever the heck it is you want, whatever all that other stuff is. Right, um, right. As long as I get my six, my $1,000 BSA or my $1,300 BSA. Right. And I thought you, we were going to argue about it, but instead you're going to, you all, you, you just, just make sure that there's more than just the BSA in there. I could fix that. Yeah, exactly right. And, and, you know, and it's just, it's going to be the same sort of stuff we have in Congress about, Okay, I'll give you all your stuff if you give me my stuff. And, you know, the other side says the reverse. I'll give you all your stuff if you give me my stuff. That's, that's what we're going to have. The, the governor, I mean, this is another another fiscal issue, another, you know, the fact we don't have anybody in the administration that understands numbers. Uh, it's another issue where the governor is just, you know, opening up the bank accounts um, and saying, you know, I don't, yeah, spend what you want, but I've got to have my stuff in here. And and he's just uh, he he's vetoing the wrong thing. He finally got the guts to say, after how many, six years is that how long we've been at this? After six years, he finally got the guts to stand up and say, "I'll veto something." 
I mean, Ben Carpenter practically begged him last year to do something like that with respect to the, with respect to the budget to increase the House the House's uh, leverage against the Senate on the PFD issue. He's finally got the guts to do that, but now he's now he's chosen something that's going to cost us even more. I mean, it, it 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 it's not a budget item that he's finally standing on. It's it's a, a an issues. Uh, uh, issue that he's going to finally stand on that's just going to end up costing us more. And I, you know, after a while, you just sort of wonder what, who's advising him, you know, who's running numbers, who's thinking through the issues, uh, who's worrying about, you know, revenue. Well, nobody's thinking about revenue design. We fired the people who thought about revenue design. I mean, after a while, you just wonder what this administration is, is doing, what they're thinking. Uh, they're biding time until they can get tapped for some bigger program. That's that's where they're at right now. That's exactly what's uh, going on. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you look at this, and like you said, why would they not embrace this? Why would the, the opposing, the quote-unquote opposing sides on this, why would they not embrace this when they could say, <clears throat> we can have whatever we want as long as we include all this other stuff in it? It becomes the smorgasbord. I mean, it is the stereotypical Christmas tree bill where you could plug anything into it as long as you get all these other things. You can have your BSA increase as long as we get all this other stuff. Um, and, and and quite honestly, this has been part of my complaint with uh, Dunleavy from the beginning is that just this weak sauce of, uh, you know, he wouldn't take a stand for the longest time and now he takes a stand and it's the wrong one. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's... um. It, it, they'll go through kabuki theater. I mean, they'll go through, oh, charter school's bad. You know, charter schools ought to come through the local school. We'll have all those sorts of battles and we'll have all those sorts of battles about, you know, the, the teacher uh, 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 pay raises or the teacher bonuses. We'll, we'll, we'll go through all the kabuki theater about that. But at the end, it's going to be, you give me what I want. I'll give you what you want. And, 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 and we'll just, we'll join together and we'll give the governor what he wants. We'll give him all that other stuff. Oh, and the price tag, it'll be, it'll be like defined benefits. Yeah, we haven't run the fiscal note on that. It's going to be something. We know that. Uh, but, uh, but, but it's, I mean, we, it, no, no one, no one is thinking about the, this, the state's fiscal situation. I mean, basically, we had a couple of editorials in the ADN last week that basically said, we got lots of money. See all this permanent fund earnings, uh, that, that that 5% POMV that, that we've got off the that's a lot of money. We got a lot of money. Don't worry about, don't worry about money. We've got we ought to be spending more. We ought to be spending more on K through 12. We ought to be spending more on the university. We ought, but we we got lots of money. I mean, that's that's the attitude we've come to. That's the that's the problem uh that you know everybody's fallen into by looking at the the five percent draw first. And then saying that, you know, the PMV comes down, comes down as one of the spending categories. We ought to be saying, look at the look at the five percent less the PFD, which is which is what the statute says. And then let's deal with that money. And then we'd be talking about budget restraints. But now everybody's sort of fallen into this. We got lots of money. Don't worry about it. I mean. You're not wrong. Rob Myers says when you get a, when you Christmas tree a bill, be careful it doesn't fall on you. I mean, that's exactly I mean, this is <clears throat> this is how we this is how we crush ourselves is just keep throwing things at it and getting everything we want. And uh, it again, it reminds me of the de Tocqueville 
you know, woe be unto the republic when they figure out they can vote themselves largesse out of the public treasury. That's where we're at right now is that they're just like, oh, we can do it. We can do child care. We can do this and we can do that. And we can do all these other things, education and health care. And we could just do it all. Don't worry about it. Um, and it'll just continue. Oh, and and we've got this we've got this declining uh, uh, number of people in working age Alaskans. Oh, well, we'll just solve that by spending more money by taking it out of the pockets of working age Alaskans and making it worse. But 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 don't worry, I, we're not even going to think about that. We'll just spend more money. We'll just throw more money at working age Alaskans. You know, Fairbanks will 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 increase the 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 property tax. Anchorage will have a sales tax. We now have the Anchorage uh, Industrial or the Anchorage uh, Economic Development Corporation saying we ought to have a sales tax in Anchorage. We'll just we'll just throw more money at it. Don't worry about it. We're not gonna we're not gonna worry about whether our our current policies are part of causing the problem. Right. Whether taking money out of the pockets of middle and lower income Alaska families is actually contributing to the problem, we're not going to worry about that. We're just going to throw more money at it, grab right. more, grab more money well, from the very people that are leaving. Yeah, and look, I mean, look at like you said, look what happens in Fairbanks here. We've had a tax cap and a revenue cap there for the last thirty years. It's voted on every two years. They've gathered the signatures. Now all of a sudden, the assembly has decided, oh. Well, we're going to go ahead and put an ordinance up to have a special election in 90 days to change that and add another $10 million to it for education, even though we can't dedicate it. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It, it, this is for the children. Don't you know? And, uh, you know, just ignore the fact that you collected all these signatures for the October ballot and we're going to get in ahead of you with a special election that only benefits special interests that only I mean, it just at some point you're just like, man, somebody just needs to strike a match and watch the world burn because the, the, nothing is going to change. Nothing is changing. And and, and part of it, Michael, I, I contend part of it going back to the first issue is part of it is we have nobody who's focused on the consequences of shifting more money onto the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families, more and more of the burden onto the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. It's like it's it's like a utility rate case where you just shift more and more onto the residentials and somebody and, you know, re, you start losing residentials, so you have to shift even more to them. And somebody says, why are we losing residentials? Because uh, their costs are going up. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe we ought to do. <laughs> I mean, so maybe we ought to subsidize them. Maybe we ought to, you know, bring in more state money and subsidize them, not thinking that the burden you're putting on them is the very problem. Right. And, you're you're and causing you're, the problem. And your new solution is to cause more of the problem by subsidizing them and requiring more money from the same people that you were taking money from to begin with. It's not robbing Peter to pay Paul. It's robbing Peter to pay Peter. I mean, exactly. if, I mean, at what point do you just go, wait, and by the way, that costs money from to take money from Peter's pocket and put it back in because you've got to handle it and everything else. And that's how government grows. Exactly. Right. So we, but we have nobody in government. We have nobody in the legislature. Ben tried, but Ben's not talking about it this session. Nobody in the legislature who's trying to say, look at the consequences of this revenue shift, this, re this, this revenue design shift that you're doing. Look at the consequences of that and stop that. Right. Equalize it or or <laughs> you know make it make it more rational before you pile any more on. And but but we got nobody in the legislature who's doing that. It's just more. Spend more. Spend more. Judy Cologne, spend more. Spend more on childcare. It's just I Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, at some point you're like you just want to 
throw your hands up in the air. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We are coming up into the third of our final segments, which is uh, we're going to talk about the Cook Inlet and how the market should decide. Brad Keithley continues with us here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. No, it's, it's definitely a little frustrating. When you're watching this stuff and you're just like more and more people and you see them fall away. You're like, people are like, oh, man, they've been spot on. The next thing you know, they're like, oh, I think we should increase the government spend on this or subsidize it or give it a tax or or do something or regulate it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what is I mean, we just apparently have missed the whole we apparently missed the whole thing. Uh, Just just missed everything. Um, and there's no, there's no solving it at that point. There is just no solve when everybody is so entrenched and so, um, uh, I mean, what, I guess, what do, how do I put this? Uh, when everybody is so, uh, uh, is a beneficiary of whatever is happening when they're so invested in the whole system in a certain way, you can't start throwing wrenches at it because everyone would, oh, well, we couldn't do that. We'd be harmed. You know, my constituents would be harmed or my constituents. And pretty soon, okay, so you're going to ride this train right over the gulch into the gully and it's going to burst into flames. Well, at least our people won't be hurt before then. I mean, put the brakes on. No, 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 we couldn't do that. That might hurt their feelings. And so instead, we'll just ride it into a fiery death in the chasm below. Okay. Oh. Or Gary Stevens, I'm going to retire after my next election. Just make sure I get through. Exactly. He's like passing passing everything I want. I couldn't possibly do that, except I will pull the ripcord right at the edge of the valley and ride the parachute out of here while you guys are crashing into the chasm below. And here's, here's the deal, Michael. The Alaska system is set up for the governor to be a counterbalance to all that, right? For the legislature to, to go hog wild, do whatever they do. But, but the Constitution gives gives the Alaska governor huge powers. I mean, he just demonstrated some of those powers with all these executive orders. Huge powers to control what the legislature is doing. But this governor, I mean, from the very beginning, has rolled back and said, no, 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 no. Let, let's wait till the legislation, you know, gets to my desk and... Then you know. Then I'll decide what to do. We just wasted. We just wasted twenty weeks waiting for the legislation to get to your desk before you gave us a, a direction you were going to go. Well, well, and we got all of our constituencies engaged, right? You go engage all of your constituencies, get them all hopped up about this, get them all excited about it, get them all you know pent up and driving and and with you know with rallies here and there and everywhere. And then I'll just sit here and at the end, I'll say no. And and we saw what happened in 2019 when that, when he tried that. I mean, it's, it, 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 the, the, the way the Alaska system is set up, the governor's supposed to be a counterbalance. The governor's supposed to be active. The governor's supposed to take a role. The governor's supposed to give guidance. The governor's supposed to lead. This is the first time, in all honesty, I can remember the governor issuing a veto threat. In, in the six years, the first time I can remember, the, and it's on the wrong thing. 
It's on, it's on, it's on the thing that's going to result in increased costs, increased budget. I mean, it's just, again, I don't know who's advising him. I don't know how all of this is, is put together in the administration, but it's just, the, the Alaska has gone off the rails because the governor is not exercising the power. The Alaska constitution intentionally gives the governor right to keep it on the rails. He's one of the strongest governors in the country. He has more power than almost any other governor in the country. And this one's just kind of laid back and watched things happen. Unfortunately. I mean, I, there is no other governor in the country that I can think of. And I follow a lot of them fairly closely. There's no other governor in the country who says, pass whatever you want. I'll think about it when it finally gets to my desk. I don't want to interfere in your process. Pass whatever you want. And, and let, get all your constituencies lined up, get everybody engaged, get the public all excited about it. And then, you know, whenever it gets here, I'll think about it. I, I know of no other governor in the country that, that does it that way. Every other governor is engaged. Even, the gov even weak governors get engaged and say, look, you know, I know you can I know you can, you know, ride my ass out of town if I do this, but but I'm going to veto if you if you go this way. And every other governor that I've that I've come across says stuff like that. The president says that stuff. Love or hate Biden, love or hate Trump. I mean, at least they issued veto threats. This governor, six years, no veto threats. And now when we finally get it, it's not to, it's not to lower costs. It's to increase spending by making sure that his stuff gets included with whatever gets gets run up on the BSA. I just I when we go over, when we go over the edge it's going to be because this governor did not exercise the powers the Alaska Constitution envisioned that a governor would use to keep a lat, to keep the state on the rails. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the worst part is that he, this could this was all preventable and he has just been very wishy-washy, standing tall, probably not the greatest campaign slogan at this point. More like slinking off to Bethlehem um, kind of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a rough deal. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Donna says, by the way, she goes, that's true about all the governors I've worked with. They were strong governors. They took a stand. They needed to do what they needed to do. All right, here we go. We're jumping back into a final segment. Uh, let's get to it. Common Sense Radio right now. All right. Uh, Brad Keithley, our guest. The weekly top three. We're on to number three right now which is all about Cook Inlet and the gas. And uh, Brad says, man, just let the market decide, um, which, uh, you know, I wish I wish that could happen, but it just seems like there's been so much intervention in the market at this point that I, I don't know, maybe it's what it takes is to get, oh, what am I saying? It doesn't take more government to get things unscrewed. It takes less government. But, you know, that's the answer that seem, people seem to be playing at this point, Brad. There have been a couple of uh, articles in the past week that I think uh, are important from a Cook Inlet standpoint. One is, one was in the ADN, a, a piece by Alex DeMarbin, headlined, NSTAR President Warns of Natural Gas Shortfall Delayed Solutions for South Central Alaska. 
And the other is a piece uh, in uh, Nat Hertz's Northern Journal that's a mid-cold snap equipment failure stresses Alaska's natural gas uh, delivery system, which is about a, an issue in the, in the Singza, uh, the Cook Inlet uh, natural gas storage uh, facility. Um, and, and, and both of those are essentially saying, look, you know, we're, we're working our way into, into trouble here. We need a solution. Here's my problem with what's going on in the legislature. The legislature is milling about thinking this is an issue they need to intervene in. You know, George Rauscher's got his solutions. Jesse Sumner has his solutions. I'm sure there's going to be solutions. Uh, well, yeah, I, there are solutions that, that, that some are milling about on the, on the Senate side. Yeah, and and we've got and and then we've got this funding for the for the AKLNG project that everybody's saying, well, that's part of the solution. So we need to continue to fund them, and we need we need to continue that project that's going nowhere, frankly. But but we need to we need to continue we we need to continue that project. And you're sending a bunch of mixed signals to the utilities, leaving them with the impression that maybe they're going to get bailed out. I mean, maybe Ada is going to buy you know, Bluecrest and maybe, you know, go in and, and save the day by subsidizing the production of gas out of the out of the cosmopolitan field. Or maybe they're going to buy John Hendricks's hex, John Hendricks's fields um, and, and save the day, kitchen lights fields and save the day by producing out of them. You know, so if I'm John Sims sitting at NSTAR, I'm going, what the hell do you want me to do? I mean, here here's the legislature saying, here's a bunch of solutions we're working on. Don't don't do anything drastic. Here's a bunch of, bunch of solutions we're working on. In the meantime, John's got wells sanding up back in the storage facility that, that lowers his ability to respond to spike peaks um, in, uh, in South Central. And, 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 and we have declines going on, natural declines going on in, in, the, in the Cook Inlet fields. And John's sitting there going, I, I don't know what you want me to do. I mean, and the, and, the, and the Regulatory Commission of Alaska, which is the government agency charged and given the authority and given the ability to regulate what the utilities do to make sure it's in the public interest, they're sitting there going, I don't know what you want me to do. The legislature's off, you know, talking about 20 different things and they may do one and it may be, you know, inconsistent with what I tell them to do. And I don't want to get, I don't want to get crosswise with the legislature. The legislature needs to get the hell out of the way. The legislature needs to stop all this, you know, pie in the sky stuff. Jesse Sumner's will subsidize, will subsidize a line down from the slope. You know, George Rauscher's will, will, you know, eliminate royalty in the cooking and that'll incentivize people to do things. Ada's, oh, we're going to buy Cosmopolitan or we're going to buy, we're going to buy the kitchen lights field and, and, and we'll, we'll solve the problem. The legislature needs to get the hell out of the way and let the market decide what is the best approach? Let NSTAR decide, let the, let the electric utilities decide what the best approach is. Take it to the Regulatory Commission of Alaska, which is already set up to do this stuff. Don't need the legislature involved. Regulatory Commission of Alaska to, to, to look at it, to, to agree or change whatever the hell they think and get on with whatever they're doing. I mean, you, you, I have this vision, talking about train wrecks, I have this vision where we're speeding along toward you know toward uh, the the edge of the cliff from an energy standpoint john sims is trying to say hey we need to put on the brake or we need to lay some different track or we need to slow the engine down or we need to direct the engine in a different way and the legislature is saying oh don't do that yet you know let us think about it and let us let us you know cogitate over it and let us take time and let us and maybe we'll have a task force 
that'll think about this stuff. I mean, maybe, it's just maybe we'll study the study that we studied before that was studying the previous study that was engaged for the before. I mean, that's that's where we're at, right? Meanwhile, the cliff is getting closer and closer and closer. George Rauscher, you need to get out of the way. Jesse Sumner, you need to get out of the way and and let the market decide how we're going, how, how to best respond to this situation. If it's LNG for a period of time, it's LNG for a period of time. Frankly, what I think happens, to be honest, is I think if LNG is going to come in, we're going to see the market, the, the, the cost uh, in, uh, of gas in South Central rise, and we'll see Hillcorp suddenly say, oh, wait, well, the cost is going to be that high. I can undercut that by five cents and bring in some additional supplies. You've now given me an incentive to do it. But but instead of letting the market operate, instead of letting the market go forward, instead of letting instead of letting the RCA does what the legislature set it up to do, the legislature is just muddying the waters hugely, and 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 they need to stop that, and let and let. NSTAR get on with his business, let the electric utilities get on get on with their business, and let the RCA get on with its business, business and let's stop this before the train goes over the cliff. Well, this is because they have, the, again, the, the secondary politician disease. The first politician's disease is we know better than you how to do whatever. The second politician's disease is we must do something. Oh, there's a crisis? We must do something about it. Instead of letting it sort itself out, instead of letting market forces or, or inertia or other things work out, they have to intervene in some way so that they are seen you know, so they are seen to be doing something about it uh, at this point. I mean, we heard all about it. Oh, people are leaving. It's the high cost of energy. Well, we must do something about the high cost of energy. Well, maybe if you got the hell out of the way and, you know, got, you know, stopped the governmental interference and increased all, maybe it's the same thing with childcare. Well, okay, it's childcare is so expensive. Why is it so expensive? Well, because you got all this regulation, because people got to jump through all these hoops, because they got to do this stuff. They got to invest $10,000 to be able to start up the thing just to babysit. It. And then what do you, I mean, you know, what do you do? Get out of the way. No, we've got to be seen doing something. That's what yeah. it's about. It, it's a hero complex. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll tell Jesse and George this, you may turn in to be the goat. You may turn in to be the goats. If you keep delaying, getting in the way of market forces, deciding what's going on, you may end up being the cause of the train going over the edge. And, and I, for one, am going to be saying that at the time the train goes over the edge because you are the ones that muddied the water and didn't let the private sector end star and didn't let the government agency you've set up to deal with this stuff, the Regulatory Commission of Alaska, you're the ones that, that got in the way. I know you want to, you know, save South Central consumers pennies uh, and, and, and be seen as the hero lowering rates, but you're screwing the damn thing up. You're, you're screwing up the operation of the market that, that finds solutions to these things. I mean, utilities think through these things. They spend a lot of time thinking through these things. They know what the tools are. They right. know how to how to bring the tools forward. Just get out of the way. Well, Stop and you, mudding the water. And utilities plan in terms of decades, not in terms of next election cycle. I just want to point that out. So utilities are thinking more long-term where everybody else is like, well, this will look good on my next election. As I sit down there and say, look, I saved you three and a half cents on your utility bill. I saved it. I mean, that's the problem right there. Uh, I got about a minute and a half, Brad. We'll give you the final thoughts for today. <laughs> we just seem so bitter today. We're like a pair of grumpy old men. What the hell? 
Well, I you can see this stuff. You can see the failure to consider revenue design and what that's costing the state. You can see the failure of the governor to veto the right, to threaten to veto the right thing and what that's going to cost us in terms of an increased K through 12 bill. And you can see what's going on on the energy side and the, and the legislature is meddling that and what that's going to end up costing. You can see all this stuff coming. That makes you grumpy because you, because you can see the cliff out there. You know where it is. You know that we're speeding toward it. And, and we've got people who just, you know, keep on adding more coal to the train. Yeah, that's the thing. Again, they can see that the bridge is out. Well, maybe you should apply. Oh, no, I think we'll make it. I think we can make it. Shovel some more coal in there. It'll be spectacular. Hold my beer. This will be fantastic. Uh, that's where we're at uh, right now. I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree more. All right, Brad. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on board, as always, and sharing with us. Michael, thanks for having me. God, it's so painful, isn't it? It's the worst when you can see it happening, when you're a sage in your own land and nobody else will listen to you. It's it's just painful. All right, Hour 2 is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, we will see you in Hour 2. Plus, Chris Story will be joined. We'll need it by the time we're done. Uh, boy, boy, we're going to need some positive stuff by the time we're done. All right, back with more right after this. I got to say, Brad, that was one of the slowest, most painful hours I've had in the radio in just a while. And I don't know what it was, because usually our conversations just go quickly. But it just was like, it's like I'm being filleted alive, like open, like I could see it. I could see what you're talking about. I can understand it. I can agree with it. And everybody else just like, nothing to see here. Move along. It'll just be fine. Let them do it. Fine, fine, just fine. Reminds me of that meme of the dog sipping coffee in the coffee house while the place is burning down. And he's like, this is fine, fine, just fine. I mean, you know, you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, it's a it, it's a hero complex. I mean, we've got we've got legislators who want to be heroes to their constituencies. They want to they want to spend, they want to spend, they want to spend and, and satisfy their constituencies or they or in the yeah, well in the governor's case he wants he won't say he is but he wants to spend because he wants his stuff and he's willing to let the bsa come in too as long as he gets as long as he gets his stuff we got nobody nobody and and and, and it's in part because we've made revenue a bad word right we've got nobody thinking about the revenue design side we've got nobody thinking about the consequences of where we're of where we're getting all this damn money and where we're going to continue to get all this damn money to keep spending. I understand we want to stop spending, but it's not happening, folks. And so the question is, question is where are we getting the money? Somebody, somebody in the legislature, somebody in the administration should be concerned about that, and they're not. Somebody in the legislature should be an expert on that, should be talking about that, and they're not. And 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 yeah, as I said, the people we had in the administration who were who were knowledgeable and talked about that, they're gone because they because they talked about that. They talk about oil companies could stand more. I oh, know. We got to get rid of them. I mean, it's just. Right. <laughs> no, we couldn't possibly. Oh, you're gone. I'm sorry. You're gone. <laughs> Anybody else, my lord, you'd like me to fire while I'm here? Oh, no. Okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, I, I don't. I, I'm not sure it was Crumb responding to Dunleavy. I think it was just Crumb. Getting ready to run for governor. Well, oh, that's wait, what I, I want the oil. I want the oil company money when I run for governor. That's what I mean. What? My lord was not Dunleavy. My lord was oh. the oil companies. Yes, my lord. Is there anyone else you'd like me to fire before I run for governor and you fill my coffers with your with your lucre, sweet sweet lucre? 
Yeah, unlimited unlimited campaign funding, but that's that's another that's that's another subject that that I can spend hours on. It's we are if there's any legislators out there looking for, you know, something that they could do to be positive, become experts in revenue design, become experts in in rate design. Help Ben Carpenter. I mean, the most frustrating piece I had last year was Ben stood up, talked about sales taxes. Not perfect, but better than PFD cuts. And given given the given the revenue level that we're given the revenue spending that we're doing, revenue take that we that we need. Not perfect. Ben Carpenter getting up and, and talking about that, taking the slings and arrows and doing that. And 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 Republicans who Democrats criticized him for weird reasons, but Republicans, you know, not backing him up. Good lord, guys. What do you I mean? This is how the world works. This is the things we ought to be concerned about. You now say, oh my God, losing all these working families, working age families. How did that ever happen? We have spent, no, you caused it. <laughs> you're contributing to it. Look at the damn numbers. Look at who you're taking money from and look who's not coming. It's you. You're the ones that are causing it. But oh no, they can't, they can't be bothered. We're by trying that. to so, be the heroes, but we ended up being the villains. How did that work? Right? You know, and that, I mean, that's really what it's all about. You're right. It's a hero complex. We must be seen to be doing something to save them from themselves instead of just standing out of the way and letting them all figure it out on their and, and get stuff done. It's wow. It's just wow. Yeah. Yeah. We must be doing, seem to be doing something to save them from themselves at the same time that you're actually doing the thing that causes the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're the I, ones that created the problem, but now we're here to fix it. Here I come to save the day, even though I put you in the way. I mean, it's, you know, it, it yeah. And you, you see that all across. I mean, you see that through all three segments. You see that in all of these spending champions that we got. You see that in the governor vetoing the wrong thing. And you see it in the, even in the cook inlet gas, where by muddying the waters, they're they're preventing, they're they're creating these muddy waters that the that the private sector doesn't know how to get through. Oh, we, we want to be seen as heroes. We don't know quite how we can be heroes, but we want to be seen as heroes. So right. we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff and delay getting on with the solution that the free market tells you to do. <sighs> this plays so well into my next segment. You have no idea how this is just going to play so. Because I mean, I got people who are like, "Oh, you you seen what the the senator, the the, the dense elephant, and the thing, and the war talk, and the, and I'm just like, does it really matter? Because you can't affect that anyway, you know. I mean, this thing is on rails at this point. I, I mean, I just got to say, <laughs> Jim just said, 37 car pileup says Alaska. He's not wrong. Here we are. We're we're on the. You know, we could see it coming." And nobody's put, nobody's stepping on the brake. Nobody's taking their foot off the gas. They're just like, okay, here we go. And at some point, you just got to kind of realize it's going to happen. And so you, <laughs> and so, and so you might as well just, you know, you might as well just brace, make sure you're strapped in and your family's strapped in and every, cause going along for the ride, cause that's what's going to happen. It's eventually going to crash. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you were smart enough to plan for it and prepare for it, there you go, Brad. Yeah, there you go. I, I, yeah. I mean, I don't Maybe. want to be negative, but I mean, I'm trying to be realistic here. 
That's the bottom line. Realism. Well, this segment, th this part of the show is all about pointing out the issues that, that are going to cause us to crash. And I, and I don't know how to stop that. I'm not, I'm not sure I know how to, how to stop sounding the warning bells. So, well, no, no, yeah. you don't stop. You don't stop with sounding the warning bells, but at the meantime, you're also strapping yourself in and putting the seatbelts on and doing all that other stuff. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, it comes yeah. down to. All well, right. I do have my seat. I do have my seat belt ready. Good, so, good, yeah, that, good. That, that's a good observation. Brad, thanks so much, my friend. Uh, folks, we're out of time. The Michael Luke Show. Common Sense Radio. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to the show, and uh, I appreciate you uh, coming in on this uh, Tuesday. Um, I got got to be honest, Brad's, uh, Brad's commentary in the last hour... Um, just is the perfect segue into what we're talking about uh, here in this segment. What we're going to be talking about here in the next, you know, in the next 20, 30 minutes or so, because it is just the perfect example of what's going on. So we're going to get to that here in a second. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. So if you haven't, uh, if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast, which is available wherever you find podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, you know, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, or you can go back and watch it, uh, or you can go back and watch it on the uh, Facebook or YouTube stream on the replay. That's uh, that's that's the best way to do it. Coming up at the end of the show today is Chris Story, and uh, <clears throat> we're probably going to need some. We're probably going to need some Chris Story by the time this is all over, folks. I'm just telling you right now, this is going to be painful. Uh, we're we're going <laughs> to. I don't want to. It's it's going to be truth hurts, right? Truth hurts. So I want to talk a little bit about this. We were just talking with Brad over the top of the hour uh, while we were in the commercial break. And, um, you know, the bottom line here is that we have to be prepared for the inevitable. We have to we don't you know, we never want to stop. We never want to stop calling attention to things that are doing. We don't want to grow weary in well-doing, right? We we want to keep going forward. 
We want to keep warning our fellow citizens that the size and scope of government is too large. We want to keep warning them about, you know, how much they're spending on things and how we're creating a dependency on government and how we need to, you know, pay attention to matters within our own borders. And, you know, all these things that we continue to harp about. But at the same time, you know, we also have to be realistic with each other. And I don't think that that... I don't think that that is um, – some people would say, well, that's just not being – you're not being genuine. You're not being true if you're warning and talking about these things. But at the same time, you're – you know, you're – it's the old adage of prepare for the worst and hope for the best and all your – you know, and all your, 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 your surprises will be happy ones. Well, that's where we're at, where we need to be hoping for the best – but preparing for the worst. And, and that's what I call my realism. So I, I had a call yesterday um, uh, from a friend and we were talking and he was asking me questions about, uh, you know, something that Senator, Senator Sullivan said um, and how Senator Sullivan is now advocating for war, that we should attack Iran and all this other kind of stuff. And he went on for a couple of minutes and then I finally said to him, um, I don't know what to tell you is essentially what I told him. I said, look, I agree with you. That's the wrong stance to take. That's the wrong thing to do. But what am I going to do about it? Now I can, if, you know, if I so choose, I can, uh, support an opponent of, the senator or any senator or congressman, I said, but let's just say that I, let's just say that I waved my magic wand and I got all the senator and congressional people that I wanted in office. So what's that? Two senators out of a hundred and one congressman or woman out of 489, right? So how much of a difference now is that going to make on the grand scale? On the grand scheme of things, I'm not saying it's not important. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying. But in the scheme of things, how important is that? And while I, you know, I, I, and I said this is why I quit talking about these things on my radio show, because to me, in a, many ways, it was an exercise in frustration to talk about those things and then see nothing change, nothing get done. Or to see people go, go, you know, and we've seen this, you know, time and time and time again, where people go to Washington and then they come back as pod people. They aren't the, when we will do, you know, they, they were talking about, you know, when they left, they sounded like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, uh, you know, and you're like, okay, that's, uh, that's great. That sounds fantastic. And then, you know, six months later, they're talking like the pod people. We saw the same thing in Juneau. And so I told him, I said, look, I'm just being realistic. That's what I said. I'm just being realistic. I am. It doesn't mean that I stop talking about what needs to change. Doesn't mean that I stop talking about what needs to happen and what needs to be fixed. It means that I'm going to continue to talk about those things, but at the same time realize that they may not work. Right? Um, and I think a lot of folks who listen to this program 
are having a hard time wrapping their brain around that because their answer, and I see it all the time in the chat room, is, well, just cut spending. Okay, I'm saying that we should cut spending. I'm agreeing with you on there. But I'm also acknowledging that the reality is that doesn't seem to be working. That while, yes, that is the ideal, what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if it doesn't happen? What is your plan B? Well, plan B is plan A. Yes, but plan A is not... you. It's the people who just end up sounding like a broken record that they cannot, they, it's this just it. This is, this is it. We just keep have to be doing. I mean, I've met people who for 15 or 20 years have been saying the same thing, which, I mean, I have been saying the same thing, but also understanding that maybe you have to take it in, maybe you have to take a different tack. Maybe you have to look at things. All the while, by the way, I'm in the background. In fact, Brad and I were using the analogy. Somebody in the chat room said, um, it was Jim in the chat room. He said, 37 car pileup, says Alaska. Now, I don't know exactly what he was trying to say there, but during the term of the conversation, I took that to mean, in, in my mind, I used it as an analogy. You're right. There's a 37 car pileup coming. And we've got some people who are saying, slow down. Some people saying, tap the brakes. Some people saying, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. Whatever the answer is, I'm in the car looking around, making sure my family is strapped in, making sure everybody's seat belts are tight, got my flashers on. I mean, I'm doing everything I can do that no matter what happens when we cross the bridge, we'll have the best opportunity to survive it. And that's what I talk when I'm talking about being realistic. Um, it's again, I am only focusing on, uh, you know, well, exception of the firearm stuff, because I think that I'm pretty passionate about that specifically. And I think we can make some I think we can make some changes there. But other than that, I'm focusing only on state and local stuff because that's where we can make the biggest impact. That's where we can make the biggest difference. Even there, though, I'm still planning for the worst and hoping for the best. I'm working like it depends on me, praying like it depends on God, right? I mean, that's the, that's the, old, that's the old adage, right? I, you know, you, we've got to be realistic. There is, if there is no political will to do the right thing, it doesn't mean we stop talking about doing the right thing, but it means that we also plan for the alternative. I mean, what Joseph, right? Seven years worth of he put it the put the food away, did all the stuff. I mean, whatever analogy you want to use, be it biblical or philosophical or whatever, we have to plan. And I don't think it's negative. I mean, we'll ask Chris, maybe. Maybe Chris thinks it's negative. I call it being realistic, still hoping and planning on the best outcomes while preparing for the worst outcomes. Am I, am I wrong? 
am I, you know, am I being, am I, am I a being of negative for believing in that? I don't think so. I think we're still need to be talking about the things that need to change, the things that need to happen. We need to live within our means. We need to quit looking at government as the solution to every problem. We need to quit putting people into the government who's got this hero complex of, I will just have to do something to fix what's going on. We, I mean, those are things that need to happen. But we also understand that those things could potentially still happen. And so we've got to have a plan. We've got to have that plan B. And plan A and plan B just can't be we continue on with plan A. Right? We want plan A to be the one that works. We want it to be smaller, more limited government, living within its means, everybody happy, kumbaya, dogs and you know, puppy birds and the old and the chirp chirp we want it all to be that but what if that doesn't happen do you have you prepared your family for you know in a financial way have you prepared them mentally have you you know done everything you can to you know shore up uh you know things if there's a if there's some kind of uh uh you know financial fiscal cliff if there's any have you have you done any of those things because otherwise you're just you're stuck on plan a you have no plan b at that point again never stop trying to do the right thing but also understand that people are fallible human creatures and they may not all come you know it may not all kumbaya and you may be left standing out in the cold while they're trying to help you to death right so maybe you should take some responsibility for yourself i mean look at what's going on in the country and again i don't normally talk about national stuff but in this case i'm going to use it as an example here we are we're talking about being close to $30 trillion in debt. We're spending nearly a trillion dollars in debt service. Last year, it was $900 billion in change. This year, it's going to be one point something trillion dollars in debt service. How, how, far, how, how far do you think that can, can continue? I mean, they're they're just talking about it right now. Oh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna expand, and we're going to uh, we're gonna put off the 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 debt that you know we're the debt ceiling. We're gonna we're gonna vote another one down. It'll be good for another three months. How many times can you vote another three months, another three months, another six months, another nine months, another year before somebody says, "Wait, there's just there's just no more money." What happens then? Financially, what happens to this state when the Fed runs out of money? When the Fed just goes bust or or they devalue the currency or, you know, something, some other, some fill in the blank with whatever financial catastrophe you want to talk about. What happens to this state when we've got half of our budget coming in from the federal government? What happens then? 
I mean, again, don't stop talking about the important things of living within your means and making sure that we're not overextending ourselves and doing all these things, you know. But again, you best have a plan, Sam. You 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 best have something in your back pocket. <laughs> again, your plan B cannot just be C plan A. That can't be the because it's not working. Again, trying to be realistic. That's that's what I'm looking for. All right. Um I guess I can open up the phone lines for the next segment, and then we'll do it with Chris' uh, story. I I don't know. Back with more of the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like... America used to be streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Uh, so Amy says time to leave Alaska. I would totally disagree. I really would. Um, you know, the, of all that there are, sure, there are other great places in the United States if you wanted to try to ride out some tough times. But there's nothing wrong with Alaska if you're living within your means and if you're in an area that is one of the lower cost of living areas. I don't think that that's, you know, I don't think that that's a bad, I think that's a bad thing. But I mean, again, there are still some good places out there, um, you know. There are some places that are doing well, Texas and Tennessee and a few other places where you can get, you know, the cost of living is fairly inexpensive. I mean, some people have talked about going to you know, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico or, um, you know, uh, Ecuador and some of these other places. Sure, you could even leave the country, become an expat. I mean, there, you know, there are other options, but I'm just saying don't get worried. Don't don't get tired of doing the right thing, but always have a plan B. <laughs> always have a plan B. All right, let me. Uh, uh, I gotta I gotta start the thing here. I forgot to turn. The, let me turn on. Let me turn on the phones and uh, get the phone lines up and running here uh, for anybody that wants to call in. HB three and food security discussion says Kevin. I mean, food security should be an important part of one of the things that we're talking about. I totally agree. I totally, totally agree that we should be that we should be talking about those things. All right. Uh, phone lines are booting up now. I see we've actually got a couple phone lines on hold here. Uh, so <clears throat> this is what I get for. You give us your name uh, and this, where you're. That's what I get for teasing the phones before I actually turn them on. People are on hold right now. Um, and, uh, they're, they're waiting for us here, waiting for us to get in there. Um, uh, but they're actually, uh, they can't, uh, got to put them on hold cause they're not on hold. Um, that's the, that's the worst part is that they're not on hold. They probably have got crosstalk with each other. Uh, so let me put everybody on hold and then I can control the, uh, 
Like it takes a second for everything to boot up. Good God. The wind. There we go. All right. On hold. Everybody's on hold. All right. We'll do that. Okay. We ready to go. Uh, we got two lines on hold and we will, uh, we'll continue. We'll start off with the phone calls and see what they have to say. Um, <clears throat> but Kevin, you're not wrong. HB three food security discussions, you know, that is, uh, that is the thing. Plan B, says Brian, is to write a sternly worded email to the appropriate governmental using AI. <laughs> I mean, where is it? You know, wherever. I mean, there are people. Oh, and then ter Terry says she's been to Costa Rica. It's not cheap. Not in the touristy areas, but in the people. I mean, I, I, I don't have a note. I was reading about some stuff the other day that people were talking about places like Ecuador and Costa Rica and Puerto Rico as being good areas to start businesses or to go down and make your dollar go further. Each one had a different plus or minus. So anyway, um, uh, I just, Randy does not get what I'm saying here, but you know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Randy will be fine. It'll be fine. All right. Um, oh, I got to fix that right there. There we go. Yeah, right there. Okay. Got the volumes all set. We're all good to go. Uh, like and share, subscribe, ring the bell, do those things, uh, do all the things that you want to do. Let's get back to it. Uh, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base. Ding. Free Thinking Radio, we're about ready to return. Chris Story will be joining us here in just a few minutes. And uh, there you go. And Chris and Chris, Chris Oliviero here on says, we plan on staying in Alaska and just preparing for the worst but hoping for the best. That's, I think, the best thing you can do, Chris. Absolutely, I think that's the best thing that you can do. All right, here we go. Let's get to it. Uh, right to six seconds. Jeez, I hate it. Gotta, gotta fill. Here we go, right now. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. All right, let's continue on. Uh, got a couple lines on hold, actually. Um... <laughs> Apparently, they were all ready to talk to me. I, I booted up the phone systems, and they were sitting there waiting. So let's go over to the phones right now and see what you guys have to say, and we'll get started right here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello, caller. That's you. Are you there? Apparently, they didn't. Uh, they're, they're not uh, there. Okay. Well, we'll go over to the next caller then. Good morning, caller. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. This is Carlene in Kodiak. Good morning, Carlene. There are several things I, too, have felt about the uh, Brad Keithley explained to us about the residentials, the businesses, and the industries, and I felt the same way that they leave Alaska. Trident Seafoods is selling out about six places, and they're leaving, and then about letting things happen, I always say let things happen organically. They're going to happen. And then about the 37-car pileup, there were 13 taken to the ER. And I'm glad you and your family were not one of them. 
But what I'm calling about in the Kodiak Daily Mirror yesterday, James Brooks had an article, and it started out talking about Dunleavy backs Texas decision to ignore U.S. Supreme Court's border ruling, but he went into the topic that Dunleavy spoke to the Juneau Chamber of Commerce and the Alaska Chamber of Commerce a couple of hours later, and I think this is an even bigger issue, is that he's very welcoming of all of the immigrants. He wants the immigrants, and he um, he wants he's welcoming the Ukrainians. And then I quote: uh, I know there are some folks that believe Alaska's just fine at 700,000 people, maybe better at 600,000 or 500,000. I would challenge you on that, Dunleavy said. And then he said the. Most economic systems are based on demand, on businesses and services. And then again, America is in competition for people. Alaska is in competition for people. Then Levy said, the governor's office did not respond to questions emailed Friday seeking more information about immigration. And in the past, Then Levy has criticized unauthorized immigration. And the big topic everywhere right now is immigration and the border right every day on all the shows it's immigration 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 well and what what do you well i mean carlene what do you think uh, about the governor's you know first of all does it worry you the governor is encouraging texas to ignore the supreme court no that's not the problem he's very welcoming of immigrants and the congressmen have been on the Tony Perkins show, the Jan Markell show, the Charlie Kirk show, and the immigrants that are coming across, about 70% of them are men aged 18 to 40. And uh, we're getting Venezuela emptied their prisons, prisons and sent the prisoners north to us. We're getting people that we don't want here. And these people are on public assistance. Maybe that'll help the state of Alaska, all the public assistance. And the immigrants are here in Kodiak. I see them at Walmart all the time, like seven or eight tall black men. You know, they're maybe Nigeria or somewhere, and uh, Russians and Chinese and Koreans. Well, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest I with you. We I'll... have to be selective. We have to be selective. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I lived on Kodiak 40 years ago, that's when I was on Kodiak, was in 1987, 88. Um, they had a huge population uh, from Eastern Asia that were there uh, filling jobs that nobody wanted. I mean, there was all there was already problems with that. Uh, so, look, I, I agree with you. We should secure our borders. It should not be unlimited. Um, I do find it a little troubling that um, that uh, the states uh, are talking about basically ignoring what the Supreme Court says, because, again, every step closer to an Irish democracy is a dangerous thing, in my opinion. I think the Supreme Court was wrong in this ruling because the federal government's refusing to secure the border. It does fall to the states. But I do get a little worried when we start uh, arbitrarily talking about just ignoring the rule of law. Um, but at the same time, yes, we do need to be as opening and welcoming as we can within the within the merits of making sure we know who they are when they come in. 
that they're not bad actors, that they're not, uh, you know, extremists or terrorists or, or you know, hiding under the thing. And you're right. A lot of military age males are coming across. Where are all the women and children? Right. Comparatively in, in the number wise. So you're not wrong there. But again, those are <clears throat> those are the, the bigger issues. Final thoughts, Carlene, before I let you go. With these people are in public assistance. They're not here to take the jobs. And Kodiak has like 50% are people from the Philippines, and they've assimilated into our community. You know, they're hard workers. And sure. th- there's just a difference, Michael. Yeah, no, but I, again, so I, I appreciate your call, Carlene. I don't think that they should be, I mean, I, I don't think that they should just come here to be on public assistance. I mean, that should not be, you know, that should not be the immigrant's way. That should not be, in fact, if that's what they have to be, I don't think they should be allowed in unless they could show that they are ready, willing, and able to go do work, be an entrepreneur, do something, start something. I, I just, that's me personally. But again, this is why I don't, um, this is, this is why I don't, uh, talk about national stuff, uh, usually because it just usually pisses people off. That's what's, uh, you know, that's, that's what, pisses, that that's it right there. All right. Uh, phone number to call 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you want to sound off, we got just a couple minutes here before we run out of time. And then we're going to go talk to Chris Story and we'll see if he thinks that I'm just being negative or if that realism that I'm talking about, I mean, still doing the right thing, still fighting the fight, still talking about what needs to be done. But in the meanwhile, Am I planning to fail if that's the case? If I still have a plan B, if I still am strapping my kids in to the chairs before we crash the car, is is I am I planning to fail? That's like saying if you have a smoke detector and a fire extinguisher, you're planning to burn up. Or if you wear a seatbelt, you're planning on crashing. That's that's kind of where I'm at, folks. I don't have a fire extinguisher because I want to have a fire. It's just in case. Just in case. Let's go over here. One final call before we go to break. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, it's Murph from the Denali Borough area. Hey, Murph, what's on your mind? Um, It's already in the Constitution that it is against the law for illegals to come into our country and be dependent on our services as far as welfare and all of that other stuff. So, you know, it's already on the books. All they got to do is just follow the laws and I'll turn off and listen to what you got to say. All right. Thanks. Bye. Uh, All right. Thanks, Murph. I appreciate it. I don't know that. I don't think that's in the constitution. Uh, Maybe it's statutory, but I mean, I don't, I don't know as they talked about welfare that much in the Constitution, unless it was general welfare of the populace as a whole. But, yeah, I mean, look, I just don't think that we need to become the caretakers of all the, you know, indigent and everything else uh, around the world. We should welcome people with open arms. Absolutely. If they want to come together and they want to be part of the melting pot and they want to be part of the success story of America, but to just come here and – you know, live on the dole, so to speak, or to bring their ideology that they're escaping their country for to spread hatred or whatever. 
uh, again, it's one of the few things that liber- that I disagree with a lot of libertarians on because many libertarians are full open borders. Oh, just let them. You can't. Again, that's 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 uh, it's idyllic that everybody would just come together and kumbaya. But there are bad actors out there wanting to do bad things. And to just opening your doors and leaving the front doors open and saying, come on in, we'll all get along just fine. When some of them want to kill you, that's problematic. You've got to protect. I mean, we have door we have door locks on our houses for a reason, right? We don't just leave the doors open and say, come on in. Anybody's welcome. We're a big one. We're a giant tent. We're opening. We're, it's all good. Don't worry about it. That's not uh, That's not the solution that I'm looking for. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm definitely not looking forward to that. All right. Uh, we're going to get into it with Chris Story here. Uh, continuing on the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Hour two continues and concludes with Chris Story. He's up next with our weekly life coaching lesson right here. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Chris Story is going to be joining us here in just a second. Let me see if I missed anything uh, in the chat room. Um, <clears throat> disobedience is patriotic. I still have most of the Mupper stickers, says Brian. <laughs> be ungovernable, my friends. Be ungovernable. He also asks, what if, what if Chris says you are too negative? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not like Chris couldn't be wrong, right? He could, he could still be wrong. It's a possibility. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying he could be uh, he could be wrong. Um, let me uh, let me see if I can get speaking of speaking of Chris Story. Let me see if I can get him on the uh, on the phone right now. We'll get him squared away. Uh, we'll try this out. Phone's ringing. One. Good morning, Michael. Hello, Mr. Story. How are you doing, my friend? What's uh, what's going on? If I was any better, I'd be Michael Dukes. Whoa. Okay. Well, no need to get nasty about it. Um, anyway. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, have you? How are you doing, sir? How's life? How's life treating you? Oh, better than I deserve, to quote Dave Ramsey, which I love that quote. I also like Zig Ziglar's response of. Uh, I'm fantastic, but I'm improving. So whichever you choose this yeah, morning either is what one, I will give e- you. Either one is my, good. Uh, my uh, daughter just jumped into my lap. You may hear her any second. Okay. Okay. You have just my hello. Tula. Cool. Oh, Tula. Oh, your your other your daughter. Your Kate, your 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 puppy daughter. Okay. Um yes. so uh I don't know if you've been listening to the show. I know you don't always listen. Um but uh, I've been talking a little bit. I heard you talking Amy off the ledge, I t- telling Amy, don't move to Muncie, Indiana. 
Yeah, let's, I mean, uh, let's see what we can do to keep her here. Exactly. Let's let's just stick around here and see what we can do. But I was talking about realism. Uh, you know, being realistic. So again, not growing weary and well doing, um, and trying to do the right thing, but at the same time also preparing just in case it doesn't work out. And I and I wonder is that is that being negative? Um, I mean, again, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday who was asking questions about national stuff. And I was like, I just don't do national stuff because I don't feel like I can make a change. I'm going to fight for where I'm at, but I'm also preparing for the worst just in case. Does that make me, that's kind of my question today is, does that make me, am I starting from a negative perspective? That's like saying, uh, I don't know. You'll have to, you'll have to tell me, uh, in that, uh, in that regard or not. I was talking with my granddaughter last night. I picked her up from her volleyball practice and and she's got a game coming up the road here in a couple of days. She's going to or a match, whatever you call it, volleyball competition. And it's going to be up the road. And I said, well, be sure to bring, I don't care what the weather looks like, bring your boots, bring extra coat, bring a blanket, bring all the stuff. I said, you can never be too prepared. So I think you're talking about preparedness. Plan B, I heard you mentioning that, you know, plan A, can't plan B, can't B, C, plan A. I get it. It's, I don't think that's negativity. I think it's it's planning for a multiple of outcomes because a lot of it is out of your control. So you can control how you're going to respond to a couple different scenarios that could be into the future. I see that as positive planning and, and realistic and no, I don't think that's negative at all, Michael. I mean I think you stink with I think you st- I think you stink. I think you stink. you too. I think you stink. I think you stick with plan A until it's just absolutely untenable, right? You keep fighting for the right thing. You keep fighting for smaller, more limited government, for self-determination, for the least intrusion into your life. You keep fighting for all those things until that position just becomes untenable and it's very obvious that nothing's going to work or the wheels just come off the bus, in which case you have to have a plan B to fall back on. Otherwise, you're going to be hurting for certain. Plan it begin with the end in mind. I think it's one of Stephen Covey's principles of effective people, habits and of effective. Begin with the end in mind, work towards that, and understand you'll be off course 90% of the time. You still want to aim towards what it is you're looking for. And I think that's what you're saying with the idea that at some point you may need to pivot, you may need to alter course. We're watching this great show. I hate Apple as a company. I mean, I don't hate them. I, I don't admire Apple as a company using sweatshop labor and so forth. Anyway, long story short, they're, they have a series that Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks have put out called The Masters of the Air. I think that's what it's called, The Masters of the Air. Uh, it's very interesting, World War II, these are B-17 pilots, and they constantly got alternate plans, constantly, or or they're, they're dead. Got to have a backup. Well, plan. sure, because no plan survives contact with the enemy. Right. That's the old military adage is that no plan survives contact with the enemy. You've always got to have contingencies. You've always got to have a plan B or a plan C or even a plan D sometimes just because you just don't know. Um, All right. Well, Chris, what are we going to talk about today quickly? When, where and how. Okay, here we go. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
Okay, uh, Chris Story joins us this morning. Uh, the man from Homer, our guru of positivity. He's a realtor. He's a potter. Pot- potter, like with pottery, not the other. Well, and, uh, of course, author and radio show host as well. Uh, he's going to talk with us a little bit today. We were just talking about, I was asking him, does he think I'm negative? Uh, because I'm planning for the worst, but hoping for the best. Uh, and he says, he says, no, are, is he, are you going to wrap this up into the when, where, why, and how that you were just talking about that you're going to talk to us today, Chris, or should we quickly address that before we move on to your, your, your thought for the day? Well, I think we need to quickly address it, Michael, because that's not what I said. And I think that the people of Radio Land need to hear that, okay. that is exactly okay. not what I said. Okay. You okay. Did, you never said planning for the worst and expecting, uh, no, you, you said having a plan B, and I said having a plan B, an alternate plan, is not negative. It's, I agree with you, it's realistic, it's smart. I'm not suggesting you you expect the, the worst and plan for the best or whatever you just said. I that that sounded new to me and it didn't hit my ear very well. So, so I it's, offended by it's, that. I'm triggered now. Okay, it's triggered. It's an adage that basically says you 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 know you 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 uh, hope for the you prepare for the worst and hope for the best and all your surprises will be happy ones. That's the old adage. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best. You're surprised. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Have a plan A, have a plan B. I don't have a fire extinguisher and a smoke detector in my house because I expect my house to burn down. I hope it doesn't. I'm doing everything I can not to make it so. But just in case, I have a fire extinguisher and a smoke detector. I don't have seatbelts in my car because I plan on having a crash. But if it's there, I mean, if it happens, it's there. I prepared for the worst. I'm planning on the best. I'm going forward. That's what it needs to be. That's what I'm saying. We can't just keep saying, you know, like, for example, I was saying cut state government, cut state government. Yes, I agree with you. I'm still going to advocate for that. But if it just keeps going on and nobody else is pulling in that direction, then what's your plan B? That's what I'm saying. You can't. You've got to have some realism in with the optimism is what I'm saying. So you're saying plan for the best, but no, prepare for the best, plan for the best, but be also prepared in case something else happens. I mean, now we're potato, potato, by the way, potato, potato is in my book, the watchman. And no, I'm not trying to make this about myself or suggest you go buy the watchman on audible. Fine. If you do, Michael Duke and I appreciate it, but it's actually spelled in the book. The watchman is spelled potato, potato. And my uncle read it and he goes, well, you spelled, I found that mistake. I'm like, what are you talking about? My editor didn't say that was a mistake. He goes, it's potato, potato. You're supposed to spell differently. Hence the phrase potato, potato. And yet you, Michael Dukes, actually narrated it correctly. Potato, potato. Because you knew exactly what I was saying. Because it's context. Because it's context. Because I understand context. I understand those things. Easy for you to say. When my daughter went to Cambodia, after graduating high school, she volunteered in an orphanage in Cambodia, and they have this expression over there that's called same, same, but different. And I really, really like that expression. So I'm just going to end. Let's put a period at the end of this whole little discussion by just saying, Michael, same, same, but different. Okay. When, where, and how. That's what I wanted to talk when, about. When, where, and how. Go for I'm, it. Go for it. I'm feeling this. And when I, I kind of listen to my instincts, I have, I think we all do but I'm talking about me for a second. I think I have incredible instincts, like a, a almost like a fingertip feel 
for where society is at okay. and headed, where we're at culturally, where the economy's at. I just had this this real sense, and mm-hmm. I'm feeling that a majority, or at least a lot of us, are feeling burnt out, stressed, difficult in staying focused, not sleeping well, and all of these things are detrimental to health, detrimental to happiness, well-being, contentment, fulfillment, the American dream. And so if you're feeling burnt out, stressed, having difficulty focusing, feeling completely almost like, ah, what's the use? I suggest we focus on these three things, when, where, and how. And that means when are you taking breaks? Where do you go on these breaks? And how long are they? And are you detached? How do you detach? from the world, from your other responsibilities, from technology, when you go on breaks. So when you go, where you go, and how often make a difference. If you can do it, studies show time and again, if you can do it, taking a break outside. Now, you and I are talking the end of January. It's not easy to take a break outside (laughs) in Alaska at the end of January. Absolutely. Next best place is in front of a window looking outside. And after that, if you can't take a break looking outside, then you could be in a room with plant life. These are all studies backed up by science. You have to believe the science that it's true. These with these breaks, I have to believe the science. I have to believe the science. Are you making you you saying I have to follow the science? I mandate you do. Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, just think about that for a minute. You know. there's a book by Daniel Pink called When, and it's kind of interesting because it's there's there's certain times of the there's there's a when in your life to optimize certain things from work to rest to creativity to um, you know when your your neurons are firing at their their highest and everything. So taking advantage of the when in your life is really important, but it's beyond just when you take a break because sometimes it's out of your control. But where and how you do it. We're so connected. There's a, a fallacy that a lot of us suffer from, and I think it's called multitasking. In fact, we do not multitask. We do what's called switch tasking. And so when you're on a break, for example, be it a 15-minute uh, union smoke break or whether it's a, a day or an afternoon or a two-week vacation, these breaks, if you don't release yourself from your other demands, for you don't cut off, work or whatever it is that could pull you away from that break in that moment, then you're not actually on break. You're switching back and forth between work and break, Uh, stress of maybe a financial issue or something, and your break. You're not actually getting the value out of the break. You might as well not be taking the break if you don't disconnect. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I agree whenever I like I try and do it on the weekends. I, you know, I keep my phone when I went on vacation over the Christmas break. I literally turned my phone off for days and didn't I didn't do politics. I didn't think about bills. I didn't think about anything else. I basically purposely made a decision ahead of time that I was just going to focus on the moment with my family, the things we wanted to do next. And I put everything else aside. That's what I've tried to do every year because that's how I try and recharge. Yeah, it's a way to revitalize it. And see, daily life is draining life force if you let it. If you're switch tasking all day, every day, and your work is bleeding into these breaks, and you're not actually taking time for mindfulness, well-being, thinking, 
absent some other voice in your head. I like to walk or or jog and, and otherwise work out with something going that's kind of distracting me from the pain of that endeavor. That's different if you're focused on an exercise. You really need to sort of jam the signals from your body telling you to quit it like this hurts. That's fine. But when you're taking a break and you want to say <clears throat> walk in nature or look outside in nature, if you must have something going, you know, on your phone or whatever, great. Make it relaxing. Put your device into an airplane mode so nobody can disrupt or interrupt you and take full advantage of that break. Protecting yourself from yourself, I think, is important. Living present tense is absolutely vital to to who and how you're going to become into the future. I think you need to protect your day-to-day, -day, your, your absolute habits that you have today for yourself to enrich your tomorrow and your future self. There's a book I'm reading by Thich Nhat Hanh. My mother-in-law gave it to me for Christmas. And I'm just reading a chapter or two every single day. They're one-page chapters, by the way. And super simple. Everything he taught, he was a Buddhist monk, everything he taught was about in the present, living in this moment. Like this moment you and I are sharing right here is the only, I'm not, I can't think about anything else. I can, the house could be on fire and I'm going to stay focused on this because this is where I'm at present here with you. And until the smoke, you know, takes me over, this is where I'm going to stay is in this moment with you because it, it matters. I could be thinking about a hundred things I've got to do yet today. Nope. I'm right here with you. I cannot switch from this moment to something else or it takes from both you and I. I agree that that is important because, you know, let's face it, sometimes we're talking with people, uh, we're, you know, we're doing a radio interview and all of a sudden your mind's wandering somewhere else and you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Uh, you know, or even you're talking with somebody and, and you've wandered off in the pucker brush and you're like, I've lost the thread of what's going on here. We need to be present in our interactions and in what we're doing. And we should bring that single mindedness of purpose to every thing that we're focusing on, right? Every task we're taking on. I just heard a statistic that it's something like 8% of Americans are still following through on their New Year's resolutions or goals by the end of February. 8%. So that means 92% aren't. And it may just reminds me that as we think about mindfulness, as we think about taking these breaks daily and, and really preserving the present and, and being present in every single moment, Goals are great. Habits are better. Creating habits and saying, look, this year I'm going to develop the habit of and then working on it far more important than maybe just a, a handful of goals that, that sounded good on, on December 31st. And maybe by February 28th, they're like, eh, life takes over. So focusing on these habits. And I think this is one of the habits we could all benefit from. And that is to take an actual break multiple times a day and literally unplug and plug into nature plug into something that would relax you it might be for some it's going to a tanning salon and just being in that in that tanning booth for 15 minutes or uh, it could be tending to your plants it could be sitting with an animal if you're a cat person all right but still dogs you know they, they just <laughs> okay. all of this provides that break and and uh just relaxation and it's really important and then we come right back to it the juice of the day really is in the present moment and being focused on exactly what you're doing and, and none of this is new and, and i'm not suggesting that i have this mastered i'm talking about this because i feel it i feel burnt out with the world affairs i feel burnt out to a point where it's almost just 
like, I, but the world's never been this bad. Yes, it has. America's fantastic. I was talking to a guy yesterday who had a horrible thing happen to him. I'm not going to get into it, but he had a horrible thing happen to him. And the the person who perpetrated upon him, uh, the adjudication was uh, relatively mild. And I asked him yesterday, I said, how do you feel about that? And he said, you know, the justice system isn't always perfect, but I love this country and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And he ended his text with God bless America. And I said, wow, that's, that is right on. I, I've got some good friends. I really like that. So look, if you're feeling burnt about anything, the, the, the world affairs, the state of the world, the state of your economy, your health, take a break multiple times a day. And when you're there, that's all you're doing is taking that break and recharging. We will be better off for you having done that. I I agree. I mean, there's a there's a thing about escapism. I was reading about escapism the other day that it can be a negative or a positive. Sometimes we need to escape from the reality around us and whether that's with a good book whether that's with a movie or a television show or music or something else, sometimes we need that disconnect because it is the, it's the way to reconnect with our, I don't know, what would you call it? Your true self, your inner self. I, I, I don't know, but we need that. And that's, again, that's one of the reasons why I take off that time at the end of the year each year, because I need that moment of disconnect from everything around me. Good, but do it every single day, maybe three to four times a day for short intervals, but make sure you get that every day and you don't let it all build up until the end of the year. Make sure you get that every single day, multiple times a day. You deserve it. Five minutes, five minutes, maybe my five minute uh, mental coffee break or something. Chris Story. Five to thrive. Five to thrive. Uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer. Uh, Thank you, my friend. It's good to hear from you folks. We're out of time. Tomorrow is another day. We will continue working on some guests right now, but we'll see you tomorrow morning. All right, Chris. um, Final thoughts, my friend, uh, for folks who are burned out, who are frustrated, who are just not feeling it. Uh, Maybe it's the testosterone. Maybe I'm just not feeling my testosterone. Maybe that's it. Uh, But what, you know, what, uh, what, what, you know, final thoughts here before I let you go. Um, I think just to recognize that, you know, there's a lot happening and it's all coming at us. We don't wait for the news of the world to show up um, by horseback or telegraph or one time daily, the nightly news like you and I grew up at five o'clock. You know, okay, let's find out what happened today. It's coming at us so fast. We need to put a, a, a low micron filter on ourselves electronically and otherwise to ensure they're not overwhelmed with things that you talk about all the time that are out of your control. What is in your control? What can you control? The locus of control or the feeling of control that you've got within your own being is fundamentally so important when we think about or measure fulfillment and we think about mindfulness, what it really means, because that can be sort of a nebulous term, but what it means to feel content And I don't mean settling for less. I mean content in what you're doing, where you are and where you're going and understanding that your time, your day, well, it really is in your control. Even if you have an employer who says, no, it's not. You still have those 15 minute breaks. You have a half hour, an hour, there's 24 hours in a day. You're probably not working more than seven to eight of them for somebody else. What are you doing with the rest of that time to ensure that your mind is as effective as possible. You know, I can't remember who said it, but you know, was it uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes? Somebody said, don't die with your music still in you. Right. And that's that's a super important thing. The only way to get the music out is to quiet 
can go to some quiet place and really take a break multiple times a right. day. Now, well, don't wait for a vacation. Right. Well, Emerson talked about, you know, again, back to nature and, and getting out there and taking that moment. And you're right. Five to thrive. That's a good idea. That's a good, uh, maybe you've got a new, you've got a new theme here. You can write a new book on it. Five to thrive, taking that five minutes out and just getting back to whatever is important. So as always, my friend, you are a godsend and I appreciate, uh, appreciate your thoughts on all this. Thanks for being part of it today. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure as always. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow is another one. We will see you then. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show